Hello and welcome to the Big Ideas Into Action podcast from the World Resources Institute. And this is the first in a special series looking at just transition. There are plenty of winners when we shift to low carbon economies, but what happens to those that may be left behind? In this mini-series, we look at some of the challenges, but also the solutions and opportunities. There are going to be 24 million new jobs potentially from strong climate action by 2030. But at the same time, there will be 6 million jobs that are lost. The choice to me is clear. You have to bring communities along in in any just transition process because you'll actually harm more if you don't. Africa can jump into green industrialization. Clean, modern energy could fuel the region's economic growth. Hello, I'm Nicholas Walton, and this is the first in a special WRI podcast mini-series looking at just transition. It's one of the thorniest issues in the shift to low-carbon economies. What happens to those whose lives, livelihoods and communities are left behind as we move away from fossil fuels? We have a special resource section on our website where you can find out much, much more. Go to wri.org slash just dash transitions. And meanwhile, in this podcast series, we'll look at three case studies from Australia, India and the US and ask what we can learn from them. But here in this first episode, we'll hear from three experts about the whole issue itself. To explain more, here's my colleague from WRI's climate program, Molly Bergen. The world is in the middle of a climate crisis, and to address it, we need to quickly shift away from fossil fuels and toward renewable sources of energy. This transition is already happening as solar and wind energy get cheaper to produce and fossil fuel power plants have a harder time making a profit. But it isn't always straightforward. It's a technical and political challenge, but it's also something that affects lives and livelihoods. So where does this leave the workers who have built careers and communities in an industry that has no place in a warming world? I'm not going to worry too much about executives at an oil company or a coal company, but workers who have been part of that economy who have not really driven that agenda from the top, we can't just leave by the side of the road. This is David Waskow, the director of WRI's International Climate Initiative. He says you can't just think about jobs lost or gained here and there. You have to think about where new opportunities might be within a low-carbon economy. We have data from the International Labor Organization that shows that there are going to be 24 million new jobs potentially from strong climate action by 2030. But at the same time, there will be 6 million jobs that are lost in other sectors. For example, coal mining communities, communities where there's oil and gas um, as a key part of their economy. So what does it mean to transition to a sustainable agriculture system? What does it mean to reduce deforestation for communities that are dependent on forests for their livelihoods? Often it will be beneficial for them, but how do we engage in that transition so that it's equitable? So that means um, making sure that they have ways to access retraining, employment programs, that there's social protection for those who can't find work. All of that is, is essential. It's especially true for workers that can't simply transition from a coal mining job into a software job, let's say. But there may be other things, for example, reclaiming mines in ways that improve the ecosystems in a community could be one area in which there could be jobs. One place where this has been going well is the Ruhr region in western Germany, which has been working on phasing out coal power for decades. 
starting in the 90s, they transitioned away from coal. And in part, they worked to provide early retirement for miners, opportunities for job transitions, including training and so forth. But they also really focused on how to build a broader economy in, in that region. They brought a technology part to the region. They really invested in universities and higher education and also looked at how to make it a green economic region. And so all that has really helped drive an economy there that means that people have been able to find jobs. And I think that's a success story and a real model for the way in which this could be done. You're listening to a special WRI podcast mini-series looking at the issue of just transition. Now back to Molly Bergen. So we've seen that thinking about how to create a just transition to a low carbon economy means embracing the opportunities for new jobs and livelihoods, rather than simply thinking about job losses in older polluting industries. But how do we recognize where these opportunities are in different countries under different conditions? David Waskow says it's critical to get input from lots of different people. The best examples out there right now of a just transition are ones where a variety of stakeholders come to the table and work through these issues, and especially where the communities and workers who are affected are part of that process and really have a voice. For example, in Germany, a commission on phasing out coal brought together leaders across environmental and other NGOs, labor unions, business and other constituencies and work through what a coal phase-out plan should be. But it's not enough to just get the right people in a room. When and how they're included in the process also matters and can make the difference between whether their concerns and ideas are addressed or swept under the rug. Most countries still just use simple consultation approaches where they invite you for a day or two, lecture you on what these changes are going to be, and then leave. And there's no guarantee that your recommendations will actually have an impact on policy. Carol Excel works with the Waverly Street Foundation, and before that was WRI's Director of Environmental Democracy Practice. I mean, we've seen in France real pushback against a transition to try and include more costs on, on fuel and actually a violent pushback to some of those approaches that were seen as climate friendly because they affected the most vulnerable and those who lived in rural areas most while really not impacting those who probably, you know, have much more resources. So I would say that in the case of many transitions, we know we've left many people behind. The communities that live near oil and gas facilities tend to be much poorer than average and suffer from worse health conditions. This makes it even more important that they are not left out of the decision-making process. Many of those communities that are dependent on coal also have very high air pollution, right? Or many communities that are dependent on fossil fuels and petroleum also have high levels of environmental damage. The choice to me is clear. You have to bring communities along in, in any just transition process because you, you'll actually harm more if you don't. Carol says that some places are starting to adopt new ways of gathering community feedback that may be more effective. We're seeing more potential in the use of democratic, innovative processes like citizens' assemblies, for example. Using a mini-public, so a random sampling of the public, is a very good way to constitute different constituencies across any community or city. But they're mostly happening in Europe, in northern countries. 
there needs to be a harder look at how to ensure that a just transition is transparent and participatory. And it really involves longer term engagement with citizens' needs and also really ensuring that inclusiveness is thought deliberately. How do you include, for example, women who might need childcare or the elderly or the youth? Careful planning is crucial to make sure that no one is left behind when a power plant closes or a new renewable energy facility opens. But all of that takes time to set up. And if the institutions in power don't take that time, things go wrong. Here's David Waskow again. So, for example, in Poland, in a region in the, in the southwest, there was a shift because of uneconomic coal mining out of coal mines starting in the 80s and into the 90s. And there wasn't at that point a transitional plan and the region fell into quite hard economic times. In the last decade or so, there's been a shift so that that region does have the kind of economic diversification that it needs and new employment opportunities. And it, it really demonstrates, I think, the importance of proactive planning. It shouldn't be something you stumble into. It really has to be addressed up front. Just transition is often talked about as a way to avoid harm, and that's essential to get local people on board. But one aspect of this shift that's often overlooked is that if it's done the right way, it will actually improve lives. Basically, pollution is a way of expressing waste, of not being efficient. And I think if you take into account the opportunities that are offered by technologies today, and also the knowledge that we have accumulated on how to deal with environmental challenges, it's obvious that we can obtain economic progress, we can transform people's lives without being inefficient. And that's why transition becomes so enticing and so exciting. That was Carlos Lopez, a development economist and professor from Guinea-Bissau, who also served as the executive secretary of the Economic Commission for Africa. While some African countries have voiced concerns that the global shift away from fossil fuels will hurt economic growth and poverty reduction on the continent, he sees huge opportunity in this transition. When you are uh, in a position of latecomer to industrialization, a lot of talk normally is devoted to, you know, just forget about it. We, we should move away from industrialization. I don't think that is possible or desirable for Africa because traditionally, uh, economies have created the massive number of modern jobs because of industrialization processes. When you are a latecomer, particularly if most of the population in the continent is very young, you can leapfrog into embracing some of these opportunities as well. So what are the opportunities that Carlos thinks African countries should embrace? Africa can jump into green industrialization. Clean, modern energy could fuel the region's economic growth accelerate expansion of electricity to rural areas. Moreover, we have this possibility with renewables also to get into fast-growing eras of progress that others are trying to catch up with. And we have all the strategic minerals in the continent that are necessary for these various transitions to take place. Are we going to reproduce yet again the colonial model of commodity dependence? Or are we going to be able to use these strategic minerals to enter into these value chains of the future? Africa is very well positioned to take advantage of the transitions. And it should not look at itself as if it was sort of a poor player in the vast number of changes that are taking place in the world right now. Some African countries are already making progress on this front. 
what Morocco is doing extremely interesting because they are concentrating a number of initiatives on the just transition, very much linked with the creation of jobs. I think everybody is looking into South Africa as an enormous lab where lots of things are happening, but where there is lack of consistency and very clear focus in direction. Uh, you can also see that some of the climate impact-related initiatives in countries like Rwanda, like Uganda, like Ethiopia, are very much trying to bring to the fore the need for the climate to be part of the transformation of the economy. Clearly, everyone is still figuring out how to pursue the transition away from fossil fuels in a way that's fair, doesn't perpetuate further injustices, and more equitably distributes benefits throughout society. To help countries, companies, and communities learn from what has worked so far and avoid repeating mistakes that others have made, WRI has pulled together a collection of mini case studies on just transition on our website, WRI.org. Here's David Waskow. The Resource Bank is really, uh, I think, first of a kind in that it brings together a number of case studies from around the world to describe the kinds of initiatives that have been undertaken on just transition, mostly focused at this point on the energy sector, coal sector in particular. That certainly has been a burning issue in Europe and, and also in the United States. But there are a number of other sectors in other countries that are critical. One of the things that we think is quite important to address is how to go about putting in place new renewable energy. And in developing countries in particular, there have been questions about how to do that equitably, how to make sure that land rights are respected, that water is not depleted for communities, that employment opportunities are equitably distributed. These are questions as well that the Resource Bank has case studies about. So far, we've compiled examples from more than 20 countries on six continents, but more will be added as more places pursue this and more lessons are learned. Just Transition has very much been framed in a, in a sense that's relevant for developed countries, especially those that have had a lot of coal assets. But I think that that frame misses some of the key dimensions of Just Transition that we're going to have to face in other sectors and in other countries, especially in developing countries. We found this in our research for the Resource Bank, and there hasn't been much work done on how to transition in the oil and gas sector, for example. So that's something we are starting to look at. And the situation will look very different in, in the United States, for example, in the oil and gas sector from Mexico to Nigeria, and even Ghana will look very different from Nigeria's. Every country or region will need to determine what a just transition looks like in their specific context, in their geography, with their people. But learning from others' experience can give them a head start. In this special podcast series, we'll dive into three very different case studies. How a worker transfer scheme helped Australian coal miners stay employed after their plant closed. How a transition fund is keeping public schools and other services in a small town in New York State running after its coal plant was shut down. And how a huge solar park in rural India is working to provide power to city dwellers without disrupting the lives of nearby farmers. Stay tuned. And that was Molly Bergen from WRI's climate team, ending this first episode in our podcast mini-series on Just Transitions. As Molly says, we've three more podcasts where she examines case studies from Australia, India and the US, looking at the unexpected challenges thrown up by the shift from fossil fuels, but also what lessons were learned.
You can find out much more in a resources section that we put together on our website, which is at wri.org slash just dash transitions. As Molly says, stay tuned and thanks for listening.